Greetings. This is the Long in the Boot podcast, the podcast coming to you from the heel of the boot of Southwest Louisiana. I am your host, G Long. And as usual, you can email me at longintheboot at gmail.com. There's also the Facebook page. And we'll have another web page up before long. I'm still debating on how I'm going to go about taking care of that. Now, normally I would be uh, sitting across from the lovely Deborah, but the, and we were going to talk about restaurant stories. I had some stories, uh, restaurant related, including the one with the guy and the automatic weapon that threatened me, uh, at a restaurant I worked at many years ago. And it's a funny story, but the problem is the events of this past uh, week, yeah, they sucked the humor right out of me. I just saw next level crazy from all sides this week. And I think the cherry on top of everything that happened for me is listening to Trump supporters deny that the people in Washington going crazy in a mob were actually Trump supporters. I've heard them called QAnon. Uh, Many people said they were Antifa in disguise. So apparently a bunch of young Antifa people uh, grew neck beards and put on 30 and 40 pounds and also aged themselves to 30 or 40 years old in order to look like Trump supporters. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Anyway, um, but I did think about the events because I'm, I'm, like many of you, just sickened by all of it. I'm sickened by government. I'm sickened by the ineffectiveness of government and have been for many, many years. I did not support Trump. As president, I did not support, well, anybody for president, to be perfectly frank. I haven't liked Donald Trump since long before he became president, so I didn't support him because I don't like the man. It didn't matter to me that he promised to clear the swamp and drain the swamp and all that, and obviously what what he's learned is one man cannot drain the swamp that has been created in Washington, D.C. That's That's impossible. The only way the swamp is going to be cleaned up is to start at the bottom and work up. You can't build a house starting at the peak of the roof. You got to start at the base and work your way up. Uh, House Speaker Tip O'Neill once said, national politics don't matter. All politics is local. And he is right. If you want change in Washington, it has to start at home and it has to work that direction. But Looking at that mob that ransacked the Capitol, it was shocking, and everyone was shocked when they saw it, I think, although they act as if they didn't expect it when, for two or three weeks, I had been reading on many websites that this was going to happen. This was their plan. Many of the people actually brought zip ties that had been arrested because they had kind of considered possibly taking hostages, which is really crazy, but that's what happened. But it should have looked familiar. And it should have looked familiar because we've seen it before. Um, while back, we had a show. We talked about cancel culture, and we talked about the mobs on college campuses using force to get what they want. Over the past decade, we have seen students, usually left-wing students most of the time, get upset when a speaker is going to come on campus to talk that they don't like for whatever reason. And often they would would threaten to show up in force or they would demonstrate in large unruly groups, making it impossible to have anything, you know, occur. No, no speeches. Often the people who are going to give the speeches cancel because they are in fear for their lives. 
the scenes at the college campuses where this happens almost always results in a some mild violence. Usually it seems like an out of control situation and the speaker ends up canceling out of fear of physical safety, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but the speakers still have a way to talk and they get their messages out through social media and other forums. So it's not like they can't be heard, but campus culture has been horribly damaged by this mob mentality. Colleges were founded on the idea of open debate, intellectual inquiry. Well, when you have these uh, left-wing mobs showing up and threatening violence, and let's face it, when you're confronted with a mob, the threat of violence is there because people individually are fine, but you put them in a big mob, it's a whole different thing. Mobs undermine the foundation of speech, of free speech, of free debate. And what ends up happening, of course, is people who aren't involved in the mob also are affected by the mob because they're afraid to then speak their thoughts because they don't want to face the wrath of the mob. So it's not just the mob. It's, it affects everything on a college campus and you can't really see it, but over time it has had a horrible effect on our college college campuses across the nation. People have been injured at these things. Most of the time they're not, but it has happened. This is the example of cancel culture. It's exactly what I talked about on the on a previous podcast. And this cancel culture has been driven in large part by students who are often demanding uh, speech codes or they want certain speakers to be disinvited or they demand new restrictions and extra freedoms for certain students. But usually the students are the ones where that, that originate with the ideas. But then you have administrators who encourage them, who support them. Even if they don't support the mob, they support the mob through, you know, certain policies. Administrators don't participate in the mob, but across the nation, college campuses, administrators have certainly encouraged the mob and their obnoxious and destructive behavior. Which brings me to what happened in Washington. What do we call that? Was it an insurrection? Was it a revolution? Was it a revolt? Was it just a bunch of nut jobs being stupid? Well, you know, that's kind of really, I guess, the, it's in the eye of the beholder. The fact is that at the Capitol, Donald Trump supporters stormed the building. They vandalized offices. They stole equipment. And they stopped congressional business, which, by the way, according to the U.S. Code, is an insurrection. If you stop official government business through a threat of violence or actual violence, that is an insurrection. And I will tell you what our founding fathers would have done to people who did that. They would have hanged them. No question. Uh, Whiskey Rebellion, uh, Shays Rebellion, those kind of things come to mind. They didn't stand around and go, gee, I wonder what we should do about it. They acted. We live in a better time, I suppose, because none of the people that were involved in that mob in Washington are going to be hanged. So was it a coup? No, it wasn't a coup. Again, the the sad thing is that five people, I believe, at this point have died, including the one lady who, who got shot going through the window of what was ostensibly a barricade protecting elected officials. She chose to go through that window. It was her decision. She took the risk and she lost. 
And I'm sad for her and I'm sad for her family, but I don't think we'd be feeling, you know, I've seen a lot of people say it's not fair. She wasn't armed. They didn't know that she had a backpack on. We don't know what was in that backpack. If that had been a store owner protecting his property with a barricade and rioters had come through a glass and he shot one of them, we wouldn't be saying, oh, they were unarmed. doesn't work that way. A mob without any weapons at all can still kill. So I'm sorry for Miss Babbitt, but she took the risk and unfortunately she, she paid the ultimate price. But this time we had a right wing cancel mob. They weren't coming for a campus speaker. They weren't coming for a campus newspaper columnist. They attacked the symbolic heart of our democracy. They came to the Capitol to exercise a veto over the results of a presidential election that they feel was unfair. This is cancel culture on steroids. The attack was, again, an attack on the very foundation of our democracy. The one thing that you have to have in a democratic self-governing society is you have to be able to have the peaceful transition of political power following an election. And what they wanted to do was to undo the election. You have to have peaceful transfer of power as a precondition to ensure that individual rights and liberties are met. That's the baseline. It's sort of like a line. A line is a perfect example of democracy in action. But we all know how we feel when somebody cuts the line. It's the same thing, much larger. Uh, the baseline requirement for democratic self-government is a fair and transparent system for agreeing to accept that sometimes the people you disagree with win. And the people in Washington cannot accept the fact that they lost. There has to be a reason. Well, the fact is that several judges have already looked at this, and you can believe or not believe that the election was stolen, whatever. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Sometimes you just have to accept the results. Even after the mob had crashed into the building, they were supported in a left-handed, off-handed way. While the Capitol riots were happening, the president tweeted and made a video and said, quote, these are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Now, he wasn't in the mob. He wasn't with them while they destroyed the people's property. But that statement offers support, much like an administrator saying, well, sure, the students may have gotten out of hand, but what they're trying to achieve is so important. It's the same thing. You're, you're supporting them in a tacit way. Now, Republicans, of course, didn't participate in the mob in most cases, although there was one Republican congressman who was in the mob, uh, and most of them offered rejections of, of the violence, but they still kind of coddled it they still kind of encouraged it in a weird way. And that's because they still voted to object to the results of the election. It was in their right to do so. I am not saying it wasn't. But that just feeds the fire of this dangerous mob that it descended on the Capitol. And like campus administrators who cave 
to students, they have to share some culpability too for what happened. One of the things that always gets me riled up about the government and about elections and about people who can't handle losing is that we also live in a time where unfortunately government has gotten so heavy handed that the key to peaceful transition of power has sort of been lost because you can't lose an election today. If you do, the side you lose to tends to come down on you like a ton of bricks. In the past, losers and their supporters understood that if they lost, they would have a chance to regroup and try again. They wouldn't lose their jobs, they wouldn't lose their businesses, and they wouldn't be investigated time and time again trying to basically punish them for being the opposition party. Well, that's what happens today. Uh, Today, the winning party will often create new rules, new laws. They'll run people out of business. They'll even seize assets if possible. The vanishing ability to lose an election and not be crushed is probably one of the main reasons for the increased violence that we see on both sides of the political divide. Um, We have the growing use of regulations and uh, criminal investigations by winners looking to punish their enemies, the losers, and it's turned it into a game that nobody can afford to lose. There's no question that one of the reasons that Trump doesn't want to lose the election or didn't want to lose the election was because he fears what comes next. We don't know what comes next, but we have a pretty good idea, I think. I think we're going to see the uh, Democratic side of all of this go after Trump with everything they've got. They want to punish him. You already see that because they want to remove him from office. By the way, people seem to think that if they, they impeach him or remove him from office, that would solve everything. Well, first of all, that's not going to solve anything. Number one, the 25th Amendment, you can't invoke it. There's not enough people in the cabinet to support it. That's not going to happen. You can impeach him in the House. That's fine. Go ahead. You did it once. Do it again. There's not enough senators that will vote to remove him from office. So we have right now, as I'm saying this, I think we have like 11 days until he has to leave. I think our our government and I think our nation can handle this man being there for 11 days. If nothing else, ignore him. In fact, ignore government. That would be the best thing because Let's face it, if we had a less powerful government, we wouldn't be worried about what the government was doing all the time. You know what I mean? Anyway, um, so we have these tactics now that allow for this crushing of people who lose elections. And maybe that's part of the problem. We've made elections too important. I think that it's just time to step back and realize that all of this is a problem. Giving the power to the government to wield it over us is the problem, and we've done that. If you want to know, it's sort of like with China. Lots of people you know, know that China is the enemy. I, I tend to agree that China is certainly not our friend, but who built China? Who built their economic power? It wasn't China. It was us. We bought their stuff. Don't blame politicians for the fact that China is so powerful. Blame yourself. Look in the mirror. I'm as guilty as anybody else. I would rather pay less money for something. But the fact is that we're the people and we are the government. And it's often said that people have the government they deserve. Well, I hope not because the government we've got right now doesn't care about us. They've proven that, especially at the congressional level. 
But one way or another, we've got to make elections less consequential so that people who lose simply double down and try to win the next one. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's always been. Years ago, there was a guy named Grover Norquist. He was an advisor to Ronald Reagan about taxes. And he talked all the time about the Leave Us Alone Coalition. Now, this was in reference to politics in the 1980s, early 1980s, even the 1970s. And he was proposing the Leave Us Alone Coalition. And these, the, at the time, he was referring to, to Reagan supporters. The idea was, we need not agree on religion. We need not share the same culture or cultural preferences. We don't have to come from the same regions, but we should be able to unite around the belief that government should leave us alone. Norquist said there were two coalitions in America. He said there was the Takings Coalition, and those folks view the role of government as taking things from one group and giving them to someone else in order to achieve some type of mythical equality. This would include the public sector unions, the social welfare industrial complex, utopians who wanted to redo society to make it more equal. There's a group, though, Norquist said, that didn't want anything other than to be left alone. And at the time, most conservatives believed themselves to be part of that coalition, the Leave Us Alone Coalition. And many of you who are conservative now might think, I just want the government to leave me alone. But many people on the right now are part of the Takings Coalition. They're not motivated to have the government leave us alone, because if they were, then you would find yourself not being able to support things like more tariffs, strict immigration control, limits on tech firms, high defense and intelligence spending, asset forfeiture laws, drug wars that lock up millions of people, and, of course, all of the social conservative stuff. That's the same thing as the Takings Coalition. You just want different things, but you want the government to do it. And that's the problem. Government needs to be smaller. I said at the beginning, all politics is local, and that's where it needs to start. Stop paying attention to Washington. Washington doesn't care about us. They never have for a really long time. If Americans would stop spending so much time trying to own the other side in every election, we'll show you we might be able to restore some boundaries to the government that would make them, well, leave us alone. Because as it stands now, the government's only going to get bigger. We're going to get new laws because of this mob riot in Washington, D.C. You know we will. We're going to get a wall. It's going to be built around the Capitol building. That's where it's going to be. And you're going to have people saying, I, I know how to fix it. I know how to do this in Washington. Well, everybody that goes to Washington and says they know the answer to all of these complex problems should take a line from H.L. Mencken. He said, for every complex problem, there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. And chances are, if somebody's telling you they know how to fix Washington, D.C., their answer is clear. Their answer is simple, but it will be wrong. Why do we always turn to government to solve all of our problems? Why does everybody want us to turn to the government to solve all the problems? Stop making Washington so important. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. And again, I'm sorry for not having a regular podcast, but I just have been torn apart by this this week. It's just ridiculous. And again, I 
in my opinion, believe that the political parties, both sides, no matter which side you support, I think you're wrong. Don't support parties, support ideas. And the biggest and best idea of all of them is to make our government smaller. George Washington, in a quote, well, the quote is attributed to George Washington. Uh, George Washington once asked why he didn't like the idea of the government solving all the problems for the people of the new United States. And he said, government is not reason. It is not eloquence. Government is force. Like fire, it is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. Never for a moment should it be left to irresponsible action. The fact is that Congress has been full of irresponsible action for the last 25 years. And until we start seeing some compromise on both sides, nothing's going to be fixed. Everything's going to get worse. And eventually, all of the money that they are spending is going to cause a severe economic hardship on all of us, no matter who's in charge. So that's about all I had to say this week. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's staying healthy. And I and the lovely Deborah will be back soon with another episode of Long in the Boot. Y'all have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.